HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's show is brought to you by Hearst Ranch Grass-Fed Beef, available on the internet at hearstranch.com. Boys, I'm mellow as a honeydew, yeah. That cat is high, look that look in his eye. Oh man, he's high, yes, higher than a kite. Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm your host, Damon Bolte. Sunny day in Brooklyn today, and we are joined today by Mr. Michael Neff, proprietor of Ward 3 in Tribeca and Rum House in Times Square. Two great bars that I have had the joy of drinking at lately, and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Glad you could make it. Um, so... These bars ran around, uh, at least Ward 3's been around for... Two and a half years. Well, almost three. Cool. Well, congratulations Yeah, on that. thank you. I mean, you can see the gray in my hair has actually gone up quite a bit. Since <laughs> cool, man. So what was the uh, the inspiration behind Ward 3? Uh, I have two partners in Ward 3, uh, Kenneth McCoy and Abdul Tabini. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. We, uh, we were longtime bartenders. Uh, we're longtime bartenders in Tribeca. So I've worked in Tribeca for... 12, almost 13 years, Abdul 14, 15, Kenny, same as me. And uh, we wanted to kind of see what would happen if kind of journeyman bartenders were to open the place that they always wanted in the neighborhood they always wanted to be in. And we were lucky enough we got to do that. In Tribeca. Yep. That's great. Um, there are quite a few, obviously there are some other cocktail bars, not quite a few, but there are a few other ones. You've got like uh, weather up for instance. Sure. Sure. Well, well, it's, it's, it's getting back there. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there's a, a, an actual like kind of cocktail bar kind of scene happening down in Tribeca. There's actually like a, like a synergy. There's a cool energy happening with all these, uh, well, this handful of bars around. So, um, it's become, like a destination again for uh, for so, the uh, the connoisseur of cocktails, which is a fantastic place to be. I mean, you you never want to be the only one. Yeah, uh, and you know, before uh, you can't talk about Tribeca without talking about nine eleven, especially for like modern people. Mm-hmm. And for those of us who worked there before nine eleven, there was this really kind of vibrant like nightlife scene. It was before people were talking a lot about cocktails, so that was definitely there. And then after 9-11, so many places left. So many places failed. So many places lost money. Uh, a lot of people moved out of the neighborhood. And it took literally this amount of time to kind of claw back to the point where, you know, people are coming down there for a specific reason. And what, the reason you don't want to be the only one is if you're going to go all the way down there, what happens if uh, 
it's not, you know, what happens if it's dead or it's slow or there's no girls there or whatever. I mean, it's nice to be able to say, look, come down to this area and I will personally walk you to five different bars. Yeah. That, that are, it's a great time. You know, it's uh, it's one of those strange kind of miracle on 34th street things where, you know, I have no stake in ha- like telling everybody just come to my place. It's like, no, 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 we're neighbors. It's like, we're pals with everybody. Awesome. And so you're saying there was a, there was a very rich, vibrant nightlife before. Absolutely. More like kind of like nightclubs and other kinds of bars like that. I mean, it was obviously before the, uh, the cocktail kind of boom, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I mean, oddly, I mean, I worked at a place down there for a long time called Grace, and Grace is one of those kind of proto-cocktail bars that, um, for people who've been around a long time, you know, cocktails is a very strange thing. You know, I, I started 17 years ago, I happened to work in a bar uh, and learned from a guy who no one has ever heard of uh, how to make cocktails with fresh juices, and this was in 1994-95, you know, in Seattle, in this very strange place. And so it's just something that I always did. And so now that everybody wants to kind of write about it and talk about it, and it's fantastic. Consumer education, big deal. You know, people going and buying books and making cocktails at home, huge deal. Uh, but for some, there's a, there's, a, there's a certain group of us who've been doing this for a long time. It's like, this is, it's a fantastic thing that everybody else has kind of got to the point that they want us to do what we've always done. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember when I first started bartending. I haven't been doing it as long as you have or a lot of people, for that matter. Um, just been about seven or eight years now. It's respectable. Uh, well, I feel like you know, I've learned a lot in those those years. Um, but yeah, I just remember having uh, a mentor, kind of like what you were just talking about. Um, you know, I was working at just like restaurant bars in, sure. in Oklahoma City, and uh, and the first time someone, uh, you know, I I looked at a lot of cocktail books. Uh, nothing really great to speak of at that time but yeah. and like like you said we have so many more to look at these days but i remember when one of the bar owners that i worked for taught me how to make a real martini you know stirred actually using the right proportion of vermouth you know like doing like two to one gin sure. to vermouth and actually using orange bitters and the whole shebang I, it was it was a turning point for me as a bartender and yeah, it really made transformative me... moments. I mean, and it's like when you make someone their first Manhattan, which I, to me is always like a privilege. It's just like, Oh, you never had one of these before. No, 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 no. Listen, like, like this, this, if for a certain type of person, it changes their life. Absolutely. And it, I don't know why, I don't know how, but it is. And it's, it's awesome part- to participate in. It's like going to your first real rock and roll show. Exactly right. <laughs> totally. It's a, it's a whole experience too. There's a ritual to making these drinks and, and people do them in different ways, and as long as the end product is just spot on and just an amazing Manhattan, sure, as you say, no and uh, that's that's really what it's all about. And you guys actually do pretty pretty high, like all the times I've been to Ward Three, you guys are doing a, a pretty high volume, and you you don't have a door policy. Nope. So it's. Come one, come all. Sure. And so you guys do some things technically different than, you know, the jiggered, uh, cracked ice kind of thing that a lot of the cocktail bars do where they take, you know, 20 minutes to make your drink. Sure, it's sure. like you guys, you, you do free pour. Yep. And uh, that's awesome because you can actually appease the crowd because the worst thing in the world to do is wait forever for a drink. It's almost worse to wait forever for a good drink, in my opinion. Well, waiting forever with, with nothing else to look at. I mean, uh, people often 
<clears throat> excuse me. People often uh, uh, they say, "Well, how come you don't measure?" Because they, you know, they don't know what a jigger is. They don't know what we talk about. They have no idea of the little ins and outs and the, the like the, the the nuances of making cocktails. All they know is they like to drink them. They pay their money and they get a drink. And so they're watching a guy free pour, just dumping, you know. St- juice into a glass or something and they're like well how come you don't measure it's like we free free pouring is 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 a really interesting art because i can give you in a mixing glass a quarter ounce a half ounce three quarter ounces one ounce one and a half two two and a half three six whatever whatever fits in there it's just a matter of training yourself to the point where i and and uh you know it's called pour testing you know and i still you know after 17 years i still do it just to recalibrate myself Mm -hmm. so i'll pour two ounces into a glass dump it into a jigger right on and I'll do that 50 times you know as I think about it and then I'll do an ounce then I'll do half an ounce just to make sure that I actually am measuring instead of just kind of you know at this point it's kind of by it's uh you know a lot of it's by feel you know we smell our cocktails we look at them we know how look so I can probably uh I could probably do it blindfolded only (laughs) only because I, I I can I can feel what's coming out of the pour spout yeah uh but that's just, I mean, that's just for, that, that would just be me showing off. I mean, there's no reason to do that. Well, only for yourself, you know, well, to, sure. to, like you said, as you, as you put it, to recalibrate. And I think that's definitely an art form that is completely respectable. Um, and, you know, there aren't too many places doing it that are doing cocktails. But, man, once you get in, it's uh, my buddy Tim Cooper who works at Gold Bar. Sure, yeah. You know? Who's he, a monster. I he's mean, a Everyone calls him a monster. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny you said that. Um, you know, he'll he'll use jiggers for the first part of the night, but once that, you know, it's a club. It I know. turns into a club. And then once it gets going, you know, you got to start free pouring. But once, like, even, even inspecting what you're doing as a bartender, when you're pouring, because you're still using pour spouts when you're, a lot of times, unless you're, like, milk and honey, where sure, they're sure. taking the caps off. But if you have pour spouts, it's almost like, two steps when you could just knock it out in like one step you know like if if you know the flow of that pour spout like you were saying no doubt. then you can count it out you know you get your your middle time clock and you you can get to the point where you can pop out a quarter ounce or two ounces sure. and well and to us uh free pouring is not the compromise moment you know so i don't uh i don't jigger when it's slow and then when it gets busy you have to like uh uh compromise by saying okay now i have to be fast thus i'm not going to use a jigger i do it all the time uh, but because that's how i think it should be done mm-hmm. i mean it's it's ev- I, I i everything is everything is uh, uh fungible everything is different you know mm-hmm. one day juice tastes like this one day simple sort tastes like that so what you're asking for a whiskey sour one day you're using johnny drum 101 the next day you're out of that and you use a maker's mark entirely different cocktails right so the trick is to learn the balance and to be able to kind of learn the balance on the fly and then to adjust on microcosmic moments every single time you're doing it. So I constantly taste cocktail. I, I went to the doctor the other day and he asked me how much I drink and I'm like, I, I, I don't actually know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because the whole Only because I, 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 I straw every single cocktail, but if I make, I mean, I might make 500 cocktails on a Friday night, just myself. And if I taste 90% of them, which I try to do, that's, I mean, it's got to add up. I mean, it can't be good for me. I don't, I right. Don't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I remember my first bar uh, job in New York City. The guy. Which is where? It was actually at a little Japanese dessert place. Um, 
And uh, it was all like shochu and sake cocktails, sure. which was really a great experience for me because I get to work with a lot of different, uh, not only spirits, but uh, ingredients that I never worked with before. And the guy who designed most of the cocktails for the opening hadn't he, he, he hadn't drunk for like four or five years, yeah. but... He was straw tasting everything, so sure. it's like ah, yeah. it adds up. Well, I mean, that's the only way he can do it. Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, he wasn't spitting out or anything. Yeah, so. no <laughs> but well, and I don't stumble home every night, so I mean, maybe it's like I feel like it's uh, t- taking little bits of poison. Yeah, you know, my tolerance must be something. I I I, I really have no idea, but <laughs> uh, yeah, it does have to add up. Yeah. So with these cocktails that you guys do. Um, you said before you have uh, a cocktail menu that consists of seventeen drinks. Uh, we have well, we kind of have two menus. I mean, we have a, a cocktail menu that's designed to have uh, simple but delicious, fa- quickly executable cocktails. We have a, kind of a premium cocktail section that is uh, costs a little bit more money but uses uh, more expensive ingredients. Uh, a lot of those are more stirred; they're more interesting, more boozy. Um, and then we have a section of classics or derivations of classics, but you know we'll have a New York sour, we'll have an old fashioned Manhattan uh, French seventy five stuff like that. But uh, <clears throat> the thing that we uh, the thing that kind of distinguishes us is we do bespoke cocktails. Mm-hmm. So we have a list that says basically a whole series of categories and words under those categories. So the first category is spirit. It'll say vodka, gin, bourbon, rum, pisco, whatever. Um, there's a section on texture, mouthfeel, flavor, fruit, seasonal ingredients. And so people can kind of go and kind of say, I like uh, gin, I like spirit forward, I like cardamom, and I like Scooby-Doo. <laughs> and our job then becomes to make a cocktail of that that's crafted for those people specifically. And we had this idea in the very... <clears throat> excuse me. We had this idea in the very beginning, and... And we kind of, because we had been doing this at other bars anyway. I mean, I opened Macau Trading Company, which is in Tribeca as well. And it was very high volume. It started off right off the bat in a very intense menu. But what I realized that after six months, there's only one vodka cocktail on the menu. And it's got coconut milk in it. So people would come back on a regular basis saying like, look, I want a vodka cocktail. I don't like that one. Or it's really intense and I had two. I want something else. Can you make me something? Can you make me something? Can you make me something? So we kind of, uh, we kind of, tried to figure out a way we could write on paper a, a, a way that we can make that uh, that process efficient uh and that's what this po cocktail menu is and that's uh so it's 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 uh it's not easy but people uh it brings people back into the process makes it about them which is what it should be about absolutely and that goes back to exactly what you were talking about uh with you know like free pork and keeping your eyes up on the crowd Indeed. and you know not taking 20 minutes to make a drink sure. you know it should be about the customer and 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 we were talking a little bit about the sh- uh, a little bit about this before the show you were talking about how the real focus one of the real focuses for war three was to have a higher level of customer service indeed and that's something a lot of people don't really focus on nowadays I mean, especially with the uh, the younger crowd nothing nothing wrong with the younger crowd of bartenders but you know anyone can Take a bunch of ingredients and make write out a cocktail menu. Uh, they may not be great, but you can write a cocktail menu. It comes down to 
giving the customer what they want and making them happy, giving them giving them the experience that they were expecting, or a little bit more, and appeasing a crowd, giving them a cool environment to hang out in. You know, they don't have to come to your bar. No, they can go to many bars, but I mean, it is all of it is service. Yeah. We're not here for cocktails. Cocktails is part of service. Service is what we do. And if you don't if you don't realize that and internalize it, then uh, you're uh, marginalizing yourself. Yeah. Well, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, let's talk a little bit more about War 3 and also let's talk about Rum House. You got it. All right. Back with Michael Neff in just a moment. grass-fed beef pasture raised on 150,000 acres in Central California Hearst Ranch grass-fed beef free-range, sustainably produced humane Hearst Ranch grass-fed beef the authentic flavor of the American West and we are back you're listening to The Speakeasy. I'm Damon Bolte. In the studio today, we have Michael Neff of War 3 and Rum House. Rum House just opened about, what, about a year ago? Just over a year, yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting to me that you guys actually kind of took a step in a different direction from what a lot of cocktail bars have done in New York City recently. You went to Midtown. We Not just Midtown. We went to Times Square. Times Square, yeah. Absolutely. And you're on... Uh, you, it's 40, in, 47th, right off the top of the square. And it's such a cool bar. It's in the, uh, the Edison Hotel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Edison Hotel. And just a cool, cool place. It's got a old school saloony kind of like nautical kind of thing yeah, going on. Beautiful. I mean, we I, we take very little credit for how that bar looks. It's an old bar. It's been there right. for 50 years. at least. Well, yeah, it, people argue about how long it's been there. But, uh, you know, we kind of went in and pulled out what needed to stay and got rid of what didn't need to be there and kind of ended up with this little gem and it's a beautiful bar i love it it's one of my favorite bars in the city my my participation notwithstanding i i the the few times that i've been there i've been uh, probably about been there about five times now and uh the vibe there is really cool one of the things i like most about it i mean obviously you take a lot of the the ideals of word three and even like some of the bartenders are wearing War Three shirts, and sure, you know, sure. yeah. and uh, but you take that that service aspect there, and you keep that going. And this has nothing to do with bartending, but I love that you have a piano in the bar. Yeah, it's one of my favorite I things. Mean, it's fun. 
and and it should be fun. I mean, but Cidas bar should be fun. Yeah. And for some people, watching someone make a cocktail is the fun part, and I get that, and it's fun for me too. But you know, we don't really call ourselves a cocktail bar only because we don't differentiate between one kind and another. Yeah. It's a bar. We talked about the door policy earlier. It's a bar. Like for us, a bar is a place that is, uh, it's a basis of a community. It's where anybody can go as long as you act right. Mm-hmm. You should be able to get what you want. Whether what you want is a pint of beer or a vodka soda or a fancy cocktail that takes, you know, 15 minutes to bake, that's cool too. Like all of it's cool. Uh, tough to, I mean, we're not trying to be all things to all people, but to me, the word bar implies that you can get a cocktail. Absolutely. Because that's where you go for cocktails. That's where you go for a drink. You know, and at the same at the same time, I would say to, you know, kind of like young new mixologists who are really happy and really like all focused about just making drinks. Uh, I would say to guys who work in a sports bar, why can't I get a decent old fashioned? There's no excuse for it. I mean, if you have bitters, which you probably do, if you have some form of sugar and if you have whiskey, then you can make it old fashioned. Absolutely. I, and I, I talk about this quite a bit, but um, and I'm sure people are sick of me talking about this. But <laughs> but to me, it's like when people say, when they use the term cocktail bar, it drives me insane. Um, just because, like, it's a bar. Every bar should be a cocktail bar. It's co- like calling a restaurant a food restaurant. Sure. You know? It's like you should be able to get a cocktail at any bar, just like you should be able to get food at, at a restaurant. Exactly. It's kind of in the definition. Yeah. It's like, um, bless you. <laughs> that was Jack, our producer. Um, so I agree with what you're saying. There are a lot of new bartenders or even people who have been bartending, you know, they're like dive bars, sports bars, or just like restaurant bars, neighborhood bars, you know, your standard neighborhood place that you go to and you grab a pint and shot a whiskey or maybe you get like a martini there. Um Everyone should know if you're bartending. I mean, even if you're just doing it while you're getting through school or it's something between jobs, you should know how, like, you should take pride in what you're doing. Like anything in your life, you should take a lot of pride in what you're doing and actually know what you're doing. You know, there are a lot of other people out there who could do it better than you. So they could take your job at any moment. Exactly right. But, you know, we're in an interesting place because I had, uh, you know, I, I know other bar owners, and I've known, uh, like, one guy in particular who will not be named, who's a very good friend of mine. Uh, you know, when we started, he got a lot of play out of going, like, hey, you fancy cocktail guys. Like, that's cool. Like, we do, you know, shots. We do beers. We're a bar. I'm like, okay, fine. Uh, but two weeks ago, he comes to me, and he says, Michael, can you uh, can you come over and just, like, can you show the staff just, just how to make, like, an old-fashioned Manhattan? Like, just, like, the regular things. And to me, that's progress. Oh, absolutely. Because if you can go into, you know, what is in essence an Irish pub, which is its own thing, and it's a beautiful thing, it's a very community-based thing, uh, and still get a decent old-fashioned or a decent Manhattan, uh, it's all about what people know how to do. And it's part of the skill set that he wants to offer to his clientele. And the fact that he gets to that point uh, after having the opinion of the movement that he has, then to me, that's real progress. Absolutely. And it really goes back to what you were saying about having, you know, a quote unquote, like cocktail bar. And then the person that comes in, they're just like, hey, man, I just want a vodka soda or a beer and a shot. We're happy to do that for them. So on the flip side of that, you go into an Irish pub. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to ask for penicillin, but yeah. You but know, if you I, order something classic like a Manhattan, it's like, dude, you know how to make that. Why does it suck? 
Yeah, <laughs> seriously. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, I think we are making a lot of progress nowadays with the uh, the state of bartending and and the bars that we go to. There's a lot more. I mean, this is all born out of the consumer and the client at the bar, the customers that come around and they see what's going on. And, you know, there are certain TV shows I'm not going to name that, you know, <laughs> probably promoted certain, sure. certain classic cocktails. Like a lot of people didn't know what a Gibson was before, you no know, doubt. a couple of years ago. And, and now, you know, it, it rhymes with rad men, <laughs> which is what you are. <laughs> um, so, I mean, like, yeah, so uh, it's just the same way that, you know, you got to give the people what they want. And, sure. and and the customers, the consumer, they've become a lot more educated over the past, you know, which is, I mean, which is how this movement will have legs and which will how, like, well, I mean, this is a new golden age of bartending and, I, standard. and I believe it. Yeah. And it's going now all over the world. It's going all, it's going to little, little, you know, little bars in Wichita. It's, you know, Phoenix, yeah. Arizona. It's no longer just San Francisco, London, and New York. But, um, you know, the more that the more that the consumer gets educated, the more it becomes our responsibility to educate them. But that's a double-edged sword because we have to give them that if they want it. Yeah. If they don't want it, we have to offer them the opportunity. You know, maybe it's there. They can see it. They'll figure it out for themselves. But the last thing someone wants is to walk into a bar and feel judged. Absolutely. I want a melon ball. Okay. I mean... I don't think it's the best. I, I I think it's a horrible cocktail, actually. And I know where it comes from in the 70s, the 80s. And, and there is a way to make it good, but it's really hard to do. And it's not what people... that not, If someone orders it, it's not what they want. Yeah. They want that green, sweet thing that has right. orange juice in it and Midori, Midori and whatever else. But uh, I they don't want to feel bad by ordering it. Right. They don't want to be made to look dumb. They don't want to be made to look uneducated. They don't want to, they don't want to be led away from it. They'll, they might get away from it. And that comes from, and that's what you mentioned the rum house. The interesting thing about the rum house is that we're making cocktails for people all over the planet. Right. People who don't have these things. The first time I was behind the bar there is like, I think our, our first or second night open, you know, these people are walking in and they're looking at me like, what are you doing? Like they've never seen that kind of like somebody moving like that. And you put an egg in it and he's doing this. Like, what are you doing? What are you doing? So they start out saying, I want a Bud Light, which they can have. And almost invariably, they end by saying either, do you guys make mojitos? Because that's the international cocktail. Right. Like, that's the one that everybody, like from all over, be like, ah, oh, I want a real cocktail. I want a mojito. Um, or they'll say, which is better, like, can you make something for me? And to get, and to get like a German couple coming in and, and like having that moment who probably have never been in a bar that makes cocktails in their whole lives is, I mean, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, absolutely. Like you just said before in the show, Making that first Manhattan for someone who's never had one before—that's sure. a—that's a real experience for for not only them but for you as well as a bartender. Makes you feel really good. Well, and it's also the only thing that keeps me coming back. I mean, it's hard to keep offering service over long periods of time. I've been doing it for a really long time. Other people have been doing it more. It's easy, easy, easy to hate people, and it's easy to complain about people. What's hard to do is hard. You have to love every single person, yeah. and that's tough. Uh, because they won't always tip or they won't always like be good or, you know, they won't always drink what you think they should be drinking. But, you know, you got to you got to you, you got to care about all of them. Yeah. Just like your family. Indeed. You may not like them, but yeah. you're stuck with them. Yep. They still got to come over. <laughs> um, so 
another thing I wanted to talk about. Well, I want to go back to what you were saying before about the... Uh, I feel like so many people, when they walk into the bar, and you know, they'll order a Bud Light or a vodka soda or whatever, um, it's more about a comfort zone. And, Absolutely. And something that they've heard of before. Maybe they haven't tried it, but they're willing to try it. But it's a name, like a Harvey Wallbaker sure, or... Sure. You know, uh, like a mojito. Yeah. Even if they've never had a mojito, they've seen the name around and heard about it enough. Um, and there, there are a lot of those drinks, like Melon Ball from back in the day, that you can actually make, like Stingers and Grasshoppers. And St- Stingers, fantastic drink, absolutely. And and we actually have a version of the Grasshopper on the menu of the Rum House, just because a it's a lot of fun, and b made well it tastes delicious dude a brandy alexander exactly dude all day long i will drink them all day long be very careful because they go down like candy candy water john lennon was one of his favorite drinks right before he died Ah, there you go (laughs) he used to drink the hell out of them uh well he and harry nilson that was their drink Uh, i did not but i even a a gin alexander like a traditional alexander it's great bowls geneva alexander it's killer there you go it's a milkshake um, but yeah, I mean, like these drinks are fun. These drinks were from like the seventies and eighties, sure. and and a lot of times these are the ones that people know. And you can take those formats and kind of church them up a little bit, you know. Like you put in your grasshopper, you put in, like Brancometa, you know, or you know, which you, is what what I do. Yeah. Well, oh, yeah. really cool, yeah. cool. So there are these things that you can do to make this drink special for this person that didn't want to really step outside of the box but then you're they're like oh my god this is the best grasshopper i've ever had well you have to earn their trust oh, that and that's what it comes down to yeah. if i only drink one thing then that's where i always go because mostly if and in many bars especially let's say within the last 10 years you you, you know I, I if i go to a bar i don't know i won't drink the beer on tap yeah until i know that they're responsible enough to clean their lines and it's not going right. to taste like garbage because i don't want to waste five six seven eight nine ten dollars on a beer that i'm not gonna like yeah so and especially if it's a bar that i look around i'm like ah, this place is a little junky like i'll just take a bottle of corona please like right. something i know that cannot be screwed up uh you know on the same side you know if you walk up to my bar i mean who who am i you know yeah, sure until until you get to the moment you're like oh my god that guy's doing this or that and maybe you want to participate great you don't want to then that means i mean my moment is always people who ask for a cocktail menu read it or look at it and either get intimidated, not want to actually have to read all the words or uh, don't trust that what they're going to get is not going to be too sweet or whatever they say. So they're going to read the menu and then they put it down and say, okay, I'll have a beer. Like, okay. I mean, it's fine, but I know what that is. I know you were interested in a cocktail. You looked at the menu and for whatever reason you said, you know what? Maybe not now. Maybe I'll just go with what I know I'm going to want. And that's fine too, because just getting that first read yeah. means that I know what you're here for. Absolutely. But also in that in that same rank, those people typically, in my experience anyway, they'll hang out with that beer. They'll see all the cocktails you're Indeed. making that other people are drinking and enjoying and like sharing with their friends and going, oh my God, this is great. And then the next round, they're like, you know what? What was that thing? Let sure. me try that. Exactly. Maybe this time, maybe next time, you know, but yeah. you, you know, you got them a little bit and you know, they're interested. So, and sometimes I actually do then in that moment, say to somebody like, I saw that you were looking at cocktails, you know, it, just so you know, I'm here for you. Like, yeah. here's your beer. It's cool. But, you know, if you want to have that conversation, we can have that conversation. And probably nine times out of ten, they want to have it. Absolutely. And that is what the customer service is all about, which you guys do a very good job at. Thank you so much. And for everyone listening, 
you got to get over to Ward 3 or Rum House. Either one, you'll have a really great time. Be sure to uh, ask if Michael's there. <laughs> he'll make you a killer drink, and he'll be very kind to you. Thanks so much again for coming on the show, Michael. Pleasure. And uh, just uh, if uh, I, I actually write for SeriousEats.com about bartending and cocktail making. And so every Wednesday, which means today, if you go to uh, drinks.seriouseats.com from behind the bar, you can kind of listen to me pontificate more than I actually do. <laughs> Excellent. Thanks again. All right, buddy. All right. That's it for the Speakeasy today. I'm Damon Bolte. We will see you next week. Cheers. That cat is high. Look that look in his eye. Oh man, he's high. Yes, higher than a kite. That cat is high. Look that look in his eye. Man, I wouldn't lie. The cat's higher than a kite. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening. Man, I wouldn't lie, the cat's higher than a kite. Boys, he's high, just look at them two black eyes. You know I wouldn't lie, he's higher than the sky. When you see him tipping, 